Hi, I'm Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And this is the Anne and Phelan Scoop. And it's a bit unusual today. Um, unlike normally, we would have Magda here. We would have a lot of cameras, a lot of help. Um, but we've reduced everything down. We didn't want to bring Magda here and create any danger for anyone. So we're just operating from the iPhone. And, and this very expensive microphone. So everything should be good. And you can also watch us on YouTube as well. At the Anne and Phelan Scoop YouTube channel. So... Let's let's have a rundown of what we're uh, going to have on this week's program. So we're going to have we're going to have a very special segment. We're going to have Robert Bryce, um, an interview with Robert Bryce, talking about his new book, A Question of Power, which you can now see if you're on the YouTube channel, um, which is all about electricity, and it's absolutely fascinating. And particularly given what's going on, it, we got to a chance to ask him as well about the about the situation with the grid and if the grid is at all vulnerable at the moment. We're also going to have um, you know because this is a, a very strange time. Um, you know we're all just trying to catch up with the news every day, something new. So we've got a reflection that I want to read from. Um, a monk in Ireland that I think is really gorgeous. Um, so as we said at the beginning, one of the things that we wanted to do was, um, you know, just share, you know, sh I think this is a great time for people to share things that they've come across, things that are people, everyone else is sharing with everyone. I mean, one of the great things about um, the internet is at times like this that it gets us, um, keeps us connected. But anyway, this was written by, um, I just wanted to read this, by, and I'm going to put this up on Facebook and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to, we're going to put it up everywhere basically. Um, it's a reflection by Brother Richard of the Capuchin Franciscans called Lockdown. Yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness. Yes, there is even death. But... They say that in Wuhan, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes, but blue and grey and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to each other across the empty squares, keeping their windows open, so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of family around them. They say that in a hotel in the west of Ireland is offering free meals and delivery to the housebound. Today, a young woman I know is busy spreading flyers with her number throughout the neighbourhood so that the elders may have someone to call on. Today, churches, synagogues, mosques and temples are preparing to welcome and shelter the homeless, the sick, the weary. All over the world, people are slowing down and reflecting all over the world, people are looking at their neighbours in a new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are, to how little control we really have, to what really matters, to love. So we pray and we remember, yet yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake to the choices you make as to how to live now. Today, breathe. Listen behind the factory noises of your panic. The birds are singing again. The sky is clearing. Spring is coming. And we are all encompassed by love. Open the windows of your soul. And though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, sing. I think that's rather beautiful. Um, and we started talking earlier, you and I, Phelan, about things people could maybe do right now um, 
in this very, very specific circumstance that none of us are prepared for and that none of us can remember the likes of. I spoke to a friend of mine in Ireland who's in her 80s and I asked her if there was anything she could compare it to and she said the only thing was when she was very little and her parents, and it was the uh, World War II and her parents were frightened and that was the nearest thing she could think of. Um, so we, we talked about some suggestions um, that people could have. And one I really like, given the fact that I'm kind of a little, uh, you know, upset here by having read that. But one idea that I think is fun and I, a friend of mine suggested to me was that we could Skype each other and have like a virtual cocktail party and have like a glass of wine, you know, and arrange to meet your friend on Skype and have like a glass of wine and just the regular chat that you would have had if you'd have been able to meet. Um, and I think people should arrange those types of parties with friends and maybe friends across the world that you haven't seen for ages um, and say to them, let's do this on Friday night. Let's do this on Wednesday night. Let's try and make a moment where we'll have a meal together or we even and people could even watch um, like they could watch a movie together. Actually, the, 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 uh, the story, the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. And I suppose people could read. <laughs> yes, you could take advantage of this to read. You could listen to music. You could do some DIY, which I suppose might might cause more trouble in this household if I tried to do right. DIY. Learn a new skill. Learn a new skill. Learn how to do that thing. Oh yeah, that's true. That's what YouTube oh is yeah, for. One other idea, we, another idea we had was that um, for grandparents um, who are separated, maybe from and older people who are separated from children that are important to them, you could do um, story time. You could do lovely story time in the evenings and read to the children or during the day, you know, because parents are going to be under unbelievable pressure now trying to entertain children. And so there could be time for grandparents and special aunties and uncles to do um, beautiful story time with with children and and things that you've always said you wished you could do, you know, like let's have because the day is long if the family are together in the house and that there could be a moment every day where we say we'll have story time together. The whole family would have story time together and maybe bring in have other children linked up through Skype or whatever. Um, you know, people can still walk. We were just at the weekend. We went out cycling uh, on the beach, and it was like, you know, lots of people were out cycling and obviously keeping away from people as much as you can. Um, yeah, that was the one we thought of. Like, um, I, I used to have an app on the phone. I have to re rediscover this, but I think you can play Scrabble or chess, or chess with somebody. Um, and you can link up. So people should download that. The other thing we would, of course, suggest is that people should uh, listen to podcasts. And anyone maybe who didn't have time, because obviously everyone is really busy and, and now has time, we'd recommend the Weinstein podcast. Yes, the, Harvey Weinstein trial, the Harvey Weinstein trial unfiltered, which is a verbatim reenactment of the most dramatic parts of the Weinstein trial. Uh, we were there every day in the court. We took the transcripts. We had fantastic actors in LA reenact the most dramatic scene. So you'll hear the evidence. We'll uh, play a little bit of it now. Yes, let's play a little bit of it now and uh, you'll hear some of that dramatic evidence. Then it was time for us to finally hear from the one person who had stayed quiet through this whole trial, Harvey Weinstein himself. He was given the opportunity to address the court and he took it. Let's hear from Harvey Weinstein. Would you like to make a statement prior to sentence? First of all, to all the women who testified, we may have different truths, but I have great remorse for all of you. I have great remorse for all the men and women going through this crisis right now in our country. You know, the movement started basically with me 
And I think what happened, you know, I was the first example. And now there are thousands of men who are being accused and a regeneration of things that I think none of us understood. If you want to listen to it, just go to weinsteinpodcast.com. Just put that into your Google, weinsteinpodcast.com, and click on it. One thing we would say, um, again, a little warning there, it's a little bit O-rated, quite quite a quite a lot and uh, obviously it's not our choice it's exactly what was said in the court um but just to just to let you let you know about that but i think that's a really good idea we're going to look at cpac not we did fbi lovebirds there but let's look at the reaction to cpac and one particular tweeter who suggested that they send someone to cpac with the coronavirus to wipe out the people of cpac we mentioned this before but let's let's put a spotlight on that because it's particularly resonant at this time we're now joined by Robert Bryce uh, to talk about his new book, A Question of Power, Electricity and the Wealth of Nations. And if, you have, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the book. Uh, it's published by Public Affairs, coming out, I think it's out at the minute, actually. This month, yeah. And uh, so Robert, uh, an old friend of ours, uh, we've interviewed him for our Frack Nation documentary. He's a Texas-based author, journalist, public speaker. He's been covering the energy sector for more than 30 years. Um, his he his books include smaller, faster, lighter, denser, and cheaper, and the, my favorite, Power Hungry, mm-hmm. which really is the history of power and history of, of energy. Energy. Uh, his his he's written every great incredible uh, publication on the planet. He's probably written for it, including the Wall Street Journal, National Review, New York Times. Um, so we're, we got him here to talk about. A question of power, electricity, and the wealth of nations, and he's, his the thesis of the book, among many, is that electricity is inextricably linked to development, and 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 poverty. Uh, the lack of electricity means poverty. The abundance of electricity means prosperity and development. But first of all, welcome, Robert. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. So I suppose we shouldn't have you on before without talking about uh, the coronavirus. Um, you talk about the vulnerability of the grid here somewhat uh, and the vulnerability of electricity supplies. Is coronavirus a complication in that? Or, um, I mean, would mass illness, is, is that a, a, a danger for the grid? And uh, how vulnerable is the grid to mass illness? Well, so far, I don't think that the virus is posing much much of a threat to electricity supply. What I think... Uh, I'd flip it and say what uh, the virus is showing yet once again is the absolute criticality, the absolute essentiality of electricity to modernity and in particular healthcare. Um, remember the the one of the key bits of kit that is needed to treat uh, patients with coronavirus are ventilators. Uh, so you need absolutely 100% reliable electricity mm-hmm. if you're on a ventilator. And the old joke is, well, you know, if you're on a ventilator, would you rather your ventilator be powered by a coal-fired power plant or maybe a solar panel? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Not, <laughs> exactly. I, think I, I think I might pick the coal plant. And of course, I mean, one of the other things that this kind of uh, reveals or one of the thoughts that we had uh, was that, you know, the world has been spending vast sums of money on this you know, push to to move immediately into renewable energy from fossil fuels. And, you know, one of the numbers that you quote in the book that we found most surprising was that Germany alone has spent $222 billion on renewable energy subsidies 
in the last, I think, what, decade? No, the last, the last 17 years. The last 17 years. And, and that's just Germany. So you've got the UK, you've got Ireland, you've got Canada, you've got America. That's just subsidies. That's not... Uh, yeah, that's uh, not even all of it. That's not all of it. That's not climate change research. That's not renewable research. It's subsidies just to produce that energy. I mean, wouldn't that, would that money have been better spent on tackling uh, research on viruses? Well, I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's certainly, today it certainly looks like a lot of it should have been directed toward that. Um, I think that, you know, the, the key thing for Germany is, yes, those numbers are, are enormous and, and staggering that, that, that a quantity of, uh, of money has been spent on renewable mandates and subsidies. Um, but Germany really does provide an object lesson in how these efforts to uh, push for 100% renewables can uh, be both incredibly costly to consumers and, in fact, end in tears. When you look at what's happening in Germany today, they have some of the highest electricity prices in Europe. Their electricity prices, since they started the energy venda, this energy transition, have skyrocketed, and it's all been based on their their faulty claims that they could switch their electric grid solely to renewables, and while shutting down their nuclear plants and saying they're going to shut their coal plants. Well, in fact, they haven't shuttered their coal plants. Their CO2 emissions are nowhere near their targeted uh, reductions, and consumers are paying the price, and German industri industry is saying, hey, 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 we got to slow this down. There's no way we can meet these targets. So, um, and, and then the final point on Germany, which is really a part of the book that I, in, in A Question of Power, I grow into great detail, is that fundamentally the, pro the, 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 the problem that Germany is facing, and it's a problem here in the U.S., is land use, that these, um, these renewables require so much land and they require such uh, long-distance, uh, high-voltage transmission projects that German uh, 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 rural residents across Germany are rejecting them. And in fact, the, the wind industry in Germany has been uh, fought to a standstill, as has the high-voltage transmission line projects. It's extraordinary, and I think we, we wanted to open up this, uh, this interview by talking, obviously, about the current crisis, which is, you know, just t the headlines are coming in, you know, fast and furious yeah. about, about what's la what, what's lately yeah. happening. But I just want to kind of get back to kind of the, because obviously you didn't write this book with, with this coronavirus in mind. And it's an incredible book. And I would really highly recommend people to get it. And just talking to Robert earlier, it's available, by the way, everyone on Kindle. It's also available as an audio book, which could be something that people could do. I think a lot of people are going to be home now. Yes. And people are looking for, for stuff to read and they're looking for podcasts and all of this one thing i would highly recommend is either listening to this book on an audio or reading it on a kindle if you don't want to go to a to a bookstore it's fascinating and i think one of the things i felt was that each chapter of this book could it could itself be a book be a book in itself and i, I you know we, we could be on this uh, interview forever let's just focus on a couple of things uh, you know one thing i want to talk about um is just one of the early chapters that deals with the history of electrification and i know i even remember my mother talking about uh, rural electrification in ireland um, and what an amazing wonder it was. And for those of us who have only lived with electricity, what an extraordinary transition that was. And, and that particular chapter, I just loved all about the, how, how noxious and uh, terrifying and dangerous uh, the way they even with this gaslighting, for example, that they had in, in England. Could you tell us a little bit about that history? Some of those, when you were, when you were research, researching the history of electricity and when electricity came, what what are the standout stories that you that you discovered? Um, there was a really incredible story about the 
uh, in London when uh, pr- prior to the widespread use of natural gas, which really has only been in, in, in widespread use in the last hundred years, but preceding the use of natural gas was what was called town gas, where um, companies would buy coal and then heat it up and then they would uh, take the methane that was produced during that heating process and put it into pipes. They would also store it in tanks above ground in cities and they were incredibly dangerous. And the, 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 the uh, accidents around these uh, these city, uh, these town gas tanks were very common. In fact, one of the the newspapers in London uh, reported on uh, reported on the problem, saying it was like living next to a uh, a bunker filled with uh, ammunition or 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 gunpowder. That this is you know they were subject to blow up and kill lots of people, and they did. Um, and and further that the gas itself was so noxious, and the lighting that it gave off was so noxious that. Um, uh, that people would, you know, they would, you know, suffer inside because of the heat, because of the fumes. Um, and, and of course, the, you know, the, the light was really only available to the rich, that the yeah. poor and the middle class lived in the dark, and that was yeah. where they stayed. And just one more moment on that history before we go into some other the issues. The, the other story that I thought was, and because I, I, I'd never kind of thought about it, but I just think this is one, again, the reason why we'd recommend people to buy this book. Great book, actually, by the way. Again, again, actually, this just occurs to me now. People who are at home who have children at the house, you could do better. You could do not, you know, you could do yourselves and those children a great favor by making them sit down and reading. The, even that one chapter on the history part is absolutely fascinating. And the, the, piece, the piece that I just wanted to address here was where you talk about the legislation, like in the 1300s, legislation that said, do not leave. Once it got dark, don't leave your house. That there were that there were laws preventing people from going out in the dark, basically. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? A little tiny bit about that. It's, it's fascinating. Sure. That 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 some of these regulations, in fact, in 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 big uh, European cities, Berlin, Vienna, they were in place well into the 19th century, where people were effectively locked in their homes at night. They were not allowed to be out at night walking around on the street. And, and you know, I hope we can talk about the effect, the positive effect that, that electricity has on women and girls. But you think about it today, where women and feel safe walking at night on the street. Well, why? Because there are streetlights. Yes. Well, if there are no streetlights, then women are, and girls are subject to assault. And so this was a big breakthrough. But yeah, I mean, this for, for hundreds of years in Europe, the, that was the, the, the common practice was that ordinary people were limited to staying in their homes after dark. And if they were out and about, they were subject to arrest. One thing about a question of power, electricity and the wealth of nations, is that the audible is read by Robert Bryce, oh, yeah, the author. Uh, so that's always a bonus when you're when you're uh, listening to a book. So uh, during this quarantine times, uh, you can hear hear that. Oh, can I just mention something on that? Can I just mention something on that? Um, a little naughty thing that I think Robert will enjoy as well, because I I also did the um, the audible version of our book Gosnell. Um, you can become a member of Audible. You can you can do it right now, and I think you pay. You know, you you give them your information, your credit card, all that. In a month, you can get then get Robert's book. Then in a month, you can cancel your your Audible. Um, uh, but because they give you that that book for free, but it but, That's but, right. but you, Robert you, gets the you benefit can have of a free it. Audible membership yeah. for a month, uh, and then you can cancel. But in that month, you can get Robert's yeah. book. But I would also recommend that you don't get the Audible book, for example. And I would play sections of it to children if you've got children at home. It's a really well, important education. When you're for driving them. in the car. Yeah. Sorry. So. 
you know, that that's the beginning of electricity. Now, are we at the end of electricity uh, with the Green New Deal? <laughs> well, I certainly hope not. <laughs> Although uh, the Green New Deal uh, is, I mean, you know, it, it, if you read what it says and the idea that we're suddenly going to transition away from the, our existing energy and power systems and convert them all to renewable energy, it's just, um, uh, it's a fantasy land. And the, and, and one of the things I mentioned earlier, I talked about Germany, what, what the, 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 the architects of the Green New Deal, Bernie Sanders and AOC, um, look at Vermont today. Um, the, the fundamental problem with the idea behind driving uh, the Green New Deal is, oh, well, we'll just convert everything to renewables. Okay, well, that means wind and solar, right? At geothermal, yeah, forget it. Hydro, yeah, well, no, forget that too. Um, so you have to put up hundreds upon thousands of wind turbines and, and multiple square miles of solar panels. Well, today you cannot build a wind turbine in Vermont. In Bernie Sanders' home state, the last wind project that was pending in Vermont was just canceled in January because of political opposition. The, the backlash in rural America from Vermont to Hawaii, since I wrote the book, in, in Oahu in October and November, 200 people arrested protesting a wind project. That wasn't reported. wasn't reported in the New York Times. But this is the this is the fundamental problem with this idea that we're going to, you know, resort solely to renewables. You're not because the land use requirements are so uh, uh, cartoonish that it's going to prevent that from even beginning on any kind of scale. So let's talk about the difference. That, uh, I mean, we know what the difference electricity has made in the developed world uh, and how it's led to so much development and prosperity. What does it mean to women and children and, and poor people in the developing world? Well, this is a key point, and it's one that um, uh, it, it really is remarkable. Um, as I say in the book, electricity frees women and girls from the pump, the stove, and the wash tub. That it, men benefit, of course, men and boys benefit from electricity, but it's women and girls that benefit the most. Why? Because the pump, they're not having to haul water by hand. The stove, they're not having to go out and collect wood or dung for the kitchen. Uh, uh, from the wash tub, because they're not having to wash clothes by hand. Uh, the, the Swedish academic Hans Rosling estimated that there are five billion people in the world today who are wearing clothes that have been washed by hand. Well, that means probably that two and a half billion women and girls are doing that washing. And when they're at the wash tub, they're not in school, they're not at the library, they're not seeking work outside the home. This is a key, this is the most important energy form for women and girls, bar none. And, and the academic literature on it is very clear, and it just makes sense on and just a kind of a basic common sense metric when you think about, well, what is it, what difference does it make? Electricity frees women and girls from the slavery, really, of common household chores. It's amazing how that gets missed. I, I don't understand what's happened, you know, to education in the world where people just don't get that. And, you know, we're all, we're all thinking as well about 20, this is 2020, there's an election year here. Um, and the parties seem re particularly divided on this issue of energy um, and the way forward in terms of, of, of you know, reliable energy, of reliable energy. I mean, we just saw at the weekend, you know, um, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders in, in debate um, and and I, I think you got to hear them as well. And Joe Biden basically saying, and we'll, we'll, let's, we'll let's, have a listen to that. Let's hear one minute. Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Number one. 
So yeah, no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period, uh, ends, you know. Now he's kind of talking about offshore and he's talking about federal lands, but, he, but later on he talks about no new fracking. You know, this is an anti-energy, anti-fossil fuel um, platform that, that, yes. that they're running on. So what do you think of that, Robert? And, and what, would, what would you say to that platform? Well, it's so deeply unfortunate. I, you know, I'm not a partisan. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm just disgusted, you know. And but to see the Democrats take this position of anti-hydrocarbons and anti-fracking, uh, where Biden said no new fracking. Well, what is it? No new fracking. Well, that means no fracking. And this is, you know, the Democrats portray themselves as the party. Uh, uh, of the, the the poor and the working class and the middle class, well, if you ban hydraulic fracturing, that it will necessarily mean a dramatic increase in the price of oil, gasoline, uh, and natural gas. Um, well, those the, the numerous studies have looked at the effects of fracking, the positive benefits to American consumers, and the estimates are in the hundreds of billions of dollars per year saved by American consumers because of hydraulic fracturing. Um, but the Democrats, unfortunately, are, are have been, uh, and I say this, you know, uh, with no with no no great joy. But they've just been captured by the far left environmentalists. They're anti nuclear and they're anti hydrocarbons, and they have pushed this 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 uh, uh, misguided idea that renewables uh, alone can power the world, and and it's just simply not true. You know, I think it's it's interesting. In the last election, you know, um, Hillary Clinton, um, you know, said, uh, you know, I, I'm going to stop all fracking kind of on day one. It's a similar thing that uh, Elizabeth Warren said. And, you know, as you said, it's very, I don't know, it's very bizarre how the Democrats have decided to go with this very leftist uh, green agenda because for places like Ohio and Pennsylvania um, and lots of other pockets of the country, particularly poor parts of the country where this is, it's the lifeblood of the whole economy where everything has been run and paid for through, you know, through this amazing miracle that happened with, with fracking. Um, it's unwinnable to be against that. And that's just on the political point. But the fact that people don't seem to understand how the fracking revolution has affected the economy is is kind of bizarre. Maybe, but people locally do know, right? Well, I think so. And I think that what, what you know, the, 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 the combination of the coronavirus, the the combination of the Russians and the Saudis deciding to flood the global market with oil um, and the collapse of oil prices, <coughs> excuse me, have created a situation where we're definitely heading for a recession. I mean, there's just no question about it. But this is going to take a very heavy toll on the swing states, um, Ohio and Pennsylvania in particular, that are critical for anybody who wants to win the White House. And so, I mean, from a pure political Take climate change out of it. You just want to look at who. How do you win the White House? Running against oil and gas in those key states, I think, could be the deciding factor because there are going to be a lot of people losing their jobs. And um, I'm not saying oil prices are going to go up anytime soon because I don't see that necessarily happening either. But I mean, this is critical. And I think you know, to jump ahead to a point that I make in the book, um, what is the way forward if we're looking at a world where Today, and this is one of the key facts in the book, there are 3.3 billion people roughly around the world today living in places where per capita electricity consumption is less than 1,000 kilowatt hours per capita per year. That's less electricity than what's used by an average American refrigerator. 
So there are hundreds of millions of people, billions of people living effectively in the dark. How do we bring them out of the dark? I think natural gas is clearly one of the key fuels that is going to be needed if we're serious about electrification and, and serious about reducing emissions and in, 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 in the issue of climate change. Um, and yet America has become a, a key leader in a natural gas production. It would shut the uh, eliminating fracking would stop that in its tracks. As Anne says in the book, every chapter should be another book. I mean, you really have you've traveled to all six continents. You have great stories from Lebanon to India to Kansas. I mean, uh, to Africa. It, it's uh, it's a. It's a, it's, a, it's a tour de force. It's really well written. It, it re reads really yeah, well. Yeah, it, re it re almost reads at times like a, like a novel. It's yes. kind of, yeah. It's and, you know, it's just, it's amazing, you know, I think liberals love, love the enlightenment. Yeah. And now the, the forces of, of the endarkenment, you know, across the world. <laughs> the the endarkenment. I haven't, haven't yeah. heard that one. But you might, have to, you might have to adopt that one. Yes, I'm I'm taking uh, copyright on that one. Um, so I think we need to talk to Robert again. We, we we need to have Robert back on the show. Um, maybe maybe later on in the year or later on. We'll we'll have you back, Robert, because we really want to talk more about this. And uh, so people. We'll can... have our regular. We'll have our regular cameraman the the next time. Yes. I hope as well. Yet <laughs> uh, that we'll be not not struggling with the technology. But please, if you're looking for something to read and. Uh, don't think it's a dry academic book. It's no, not. It's, it's really not. well written. No. It's all. I mean, there are hundreds of human stories told in this. Yeah. Every not no point is made without a, a human being's story to back it up, which is yeah. another thing. So you really get to meet people in strange places who have strange jobs and strange lives, and it's all about power and how their lives are made better or worse by power or the lack of it. So don't think it's a dry academic piece. It's not. It's about humans and humanity and well worth the read. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, thanks a million, y'all. If I just can add, with the, robertbrice.com is my website. I'm on Twitter, at PowerHungry, P-W-R Hungry. So uh, have a look there. I'll post the reviews and uh, and so on. So uh, thanks again for having me on. It was really good. Uh, thank you, Robert. Thanks, All Robert. Best. And the last thing we're going to do is, because um, I've neglected doing this for quite a while, obviously, because we were in New York and all of that, uh, we're going to have a recipe. And I think um, maybe it's a really good time for people to, you know, take on. We're going to have a bunch of suggestions, by the way, of things that people can do in isolation if they're isolated um, or if they're stuck in the house with a lot of children and uh, some suggestions on that. And one of them, I think, is to do um, cookery projects. So um, we made beef bourguignon, which is a bit of a project, but um, it's really, really nice. And it's comfort food, I think, is a great idea um, at this time. Um, so we're going to start, I think, by, oh, and we, did we say, no, and then one of the other things we're going to do is we're going to make um, a suggestion of um, a movie to see. And it's interesting today, you know, we had talked, we had talked about this um, over the last few days and said, of course, we, we, you know, we plan to do a review of The Hunt, which is, in the, which is coming to theatres, uh, you know, this week. And of course, as you probably know now, a lot of theatres across the country have been asked to close. And by the time you watch this, I imagine nearly all theatres will be closed. But we have also just heard from Universal that The Hunt will be available on streaming starting on Friday. So we recommend it. Yes, but, le but let's hold on for that towards the end. And let's... Uh, Kick off right now. Those people? <sighs> Sorry. Black people. African American. Privilege, Julius. It's perfectly fine to call them black again. <laughs> According to who? NPR. So I've seen it twice now, but uh, you're, you saw it once. Yes. Did it live up? I highly recommended it in my article in the Daily Wire. Uh, as a movie every conservative must see. I don't believe the propaganda that it's anti-conservative. It's not. Did you agree? Was it? I think you were initially uh, 
disappointed in me actually when you sat initially in yes. the theater and by the way we went to the theater you know last week before things got completely crazy but even then we did bring alcohol wipes and we just wiped down the chair and, and all that kind of thing and we went to the dining theater which is these big chairs so, so we were very far away from each other two feet away from everyone but the films the film started and we were with our friend uh, yvonne dean bailey as well came with us and she's like sitting there as well and i think she and i were like initially not impressed at all with the film because it starts off very violent and i would recommend you know let people know it's very violent it's not for young people you know it's not for children um, and it's not for anybody who can't handle the violence although I think the violence ends up being very comical it, it's, that, it's that kind of cartoonish violence but I have to say by the end of the film I was really glad Phelan had um, kind of cajoled us both into going um, I, I just thought it was fabulous really really well written it's very interesting just looking at the reviews the left and most mainstream reviewers really really don't like it they think they don't that the hunt don't understand satire I think the hunt understands satire really well I think what's wrong with the mainstream media reviewers is that they don't like where the satire lands and I swear for you guys out there watching I would rec- you know again you know there's there is a lot of violence in it it's you're R-rated. it's R rated and all of that but if you're if you're up for some entertainment and you're you know and and that kind of you know that kind of extreme violence doesn't bother you there is language and there is language in it but I can tell you I'm very sensitive to vi- to violence and I, I I at the beginning I was like looking at film going I don't know I don't know why I'm here but by the end of it I was really glad I went and I think the guys who wrote the script are genius and it's like there's NPR jokes there's stuff about um about identity politics it's all in there like a climate change they it's it's very 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 funny it's it's spot on don't believe the reviewers who tell you uh, it takes pot shots at both sides it doesn't really um even the pot shots at the conservatives are then there's a payoff because it's a bigger pot shot at the liberal side so this is not a, a ter- you know and i i hate all those movies that take a pot shot at both sides who who wants that you want to go and see somebody you know a movie is about escapism so you want to go and take take all the pot shots you want i mean if hollywood took 50 percent pot shots at liberals and 50 percent pot shots at conservatives i don't think anyone would mind people conservatives would go and see the, the, the themselves no problem being pilliered totally. but that's not the way it is it's 99 percent one way as we know and this is the one percent and the left don't like it and that's why they they really didn't they gave it bad reviews it's very funny i think i looked at Rotten Tomatoes before it came on here and it has 50% oh of the mainstream media but 80, 89% of the audience like it and you always know I think Adam Carolla said that that's the, that's the best ratio you can have it's because the mainstream media um, 50% means they know it's good enough that they can't really condemn it but but then when 80 when it's up to the 80 when it's that 80 50% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes you know it's a really good movie that ordinary people like and that elitists really hate yeah, it's become kind of a thing that we've, you know, we've said that before. We, you know, um, what was the name of the lovely film that we saw with Eddie Murphy? Um, Mr. Church, I think, that I recommended before, which was, he, again, very like that, you know, panned by the critics and it, and, and delight, the, the audience were delighted yeah. by it. So, um, you know, I, I actually think it, it's actually worth almost looking at Rotten Tomatoes and finding low scored, you know, finding those ratios. Once you see those ratios, it's usually well, something. People love it and the mainstream movie critics don't like it or sniffy about it you know it's a good movie yeah. so the recipe for today um and i'm going to put the recipe up on on facebook but uh you know i think this is a great time for people to do uh, like cookery projects and the thing that puts people off doing things like beef bourguignon is how long it takes it takes a really really long time to cook but 
the great thing about it is is that you can use really um like the really inferior cuts of meat actually it's like it's stewing beef you want stewing beef for this you know you could you know and it needs a lot of time. I actually used an instant pot. You know, I've had, uh, I think I mentioned on the show before that I have an instant pot that's scary to me. But uh, that's one of my big projects for this period of time is that uh, I am not letting that instant pot get the better of me. So I have used the instant pot and I actually cooked it an hour and was tremendous. But if you don't have an instant pot, don't worry about it. You could use a Dutch oven or any big pot at all. Um, and yes, you need a bottle of red wine. It doesn't need to be that special, but it should be drinkable. So like a Pinot Noir or, um, you know, obviously, you know, if you're really going to go there, you could get a Burgundy. And I actually happen to have a Burgundy. Um, I, I got a, I got a, somebody sent me a nice box of wine, so I actually had that. But it's, it's so easy to make. The big thing that I would say that I think is important is that you do brown the meat. So you you know you brown brown the meat till it's not brown. The more you brown everything before it goes into the pot, the nicer everything's going to be. And you want to caramelize that. And as you know on this show, there's always a joke about caramelizing. It's caramelizing, not burning. Uh, but you start basically by taking the bacon. You got you got your bacon. You'll see all the recipe notes are up there on the Facebook page. But you're going to get the bacon and you're going to you're going to um, you're going to uh, fry that down. Fry that down on a big on a ideally on a cast iron pan. Fry that down. Fry that down, um, and render the fat. And then with a slotted spoon. What does render mean? Render means let the fat melt away. Actually, so basically, you know, you're frying it and you're frying it on a dry pan. By the way, and what you're going to end up with. Thank you very much. You're going to end up with a lot of lovely bacon fat coming away, and so then you scoop up the bacon, and you have the fat left behind. The next thing that goes in there. The next thing that you're going to put in there, thank you very, very much. Oh, there you go. Thank you very much. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to, well, actually, very good. Thank you, Phelan. Actually, I'm glad you did that, actually, because I was going to forget this move. Then you take the meat and, and Phelan did that. What did you do with the meat first, Phelan? I browned it. No. 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 The first thing oh. he did was? I dried the meat. Dry the meat. Oh, and can I just say, do drying the meat, you need a high, 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 high quality kitchen roll. And I'm not... Now, Phil, we're in times now that people may not, may not have kitchen roll. If you don't have kitchen roll, by the way, which could be an issue, you can use a tea towel and then just put, obviously it'll get full of blood and everything, but just throw it in the washing machine, right? And then salt and then season it with salt and pepper. But uh, if you're having kitchen roll, just be careful that the kitchen roll... Okay, people may not have it, but I, I was in a house recently with the kitchen roll that was not a high quality. Inferior kitchen roll, but the whole thing... At the, we went to a house and we cooked for people. It's a thing we do for our friends, Ali and Guy. Shout out to those two. Um, and we go to their house and... Pretty much invariably, I get extremely frustrated because they don't really cook. That's why we cook for them. Um, and so they have inferior um, things like inferior kitchen roll, and then there'll be problems with they won't have oil. No, they, they won't have. They're missing ingredients. They're missing. Fair to be fair, generally, when we tell them to get something, they, they get something of a good quality. But there are missing items. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to abuse them anymore. So basically, get that. Uh, here's uh, oh, there's Mr. Scaredy Cat coming to say hi. So basically, um, then you're going to throw that meat in. You're going to put that meat in, and you know I would if if you're going to make this, I'd make quite a lot, and I I, I think I've got the quantities there somewhere in, in the recipe thing. You know it's couple of pound of of meat so brown that where in batches where is this recipe going to it's going to be on the facebook page the ann and phelan scoop okay. re- facebook page brown that till it's nice and not brown again take that away off with a slotted spoon and and put remove it to the same place that you have the bacon a nice big bowl or a nice big plate next you're going to put in your shallots and use shallots um you know like 14 15 16 shallots by the way again for anyone who has problems with their pantry right now 
onion is just fine. And uh, brown that, brown that, brown that, brown that. Take that off, put that into the bowl. Then you put in your carrots, loads of carrots, roughly cut. Actually, keep them nice and big because they're going to cook for a really long time. Um, and, you know, as I said, the whole thing is, go, all of this is going to go up. And then you're going to, you've, again, you mushrooms. Fry the, fry the onions. You fry the onion, fry everything. Then you put the mushrooms in. You might at that point have, your pan might be drying a little bit. So you can throw in some butter in there uh, if the pan gets dry. Okay. Then look at the cat. No, cat, stop that. And then um, add the garlic and cook for another minute. And then... Again, again, if you have it, ideally, you should put in like a cup of cognac or a half cup of cognac and then throw that in and uh, burn it. Put a, put a match to it, stand well back and let that burn off the alcohol. Then you get your big pot, your Dutch oven or your big pot, throw everything in there and then throw in your big bottle of wine, tomato paste, beef broth, thyme with a H, T-H-Y-M-E. You throw that all in there and... If you're doing it, uh, you know, if you're doing it in the Instant Pot, it's going to take an hour. If you're doing it in, on a Dutch oven, you know, two or three hours. Um, and just every now and again, check on it. Make sure your fluid's still there. And, um, you know, you're going to cook it until the beef becomes really tender. And then just serve, I mean, super easy. Served it, we served it with mashed potatoes. Yum, 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 yum. Mashed potatoes and a lot, a lot, a lot of butter, I have to say now. And it was yummy, yummy, yummy. And we're still eating it, right, Phil? Yeah, so we had it for lunch. We were very smart now. We went to the neighbor. We went to our friends and cooked for them, but we didn't leave them the leftovers now. We took the leftovers no, home. We've been stung like that before. Yeah, we made that mistake before. Not with them, but with the other. Yes, we're not talking about that, though. But no, no. Yeah. So, again, uh, one thing I'm going to try and do is I am. Um, it mightn't be for next week because we're all just catching up with ourselves here, but I do want to try and make. Apparently, you can make yogurt really easy in the instant pot using um, full, fat, f- full fat milk. So, um, well, that's the end of this week's podcast yeah this is the end of this week's podcast um apologies for you know the fact that it all looks a little bit pasted together but the truth is it's important that we do this rather than it be perfect and we just didn't want magda to come over here or yvonne to come over here we just wanted to kind of um see how we can work work out on our own in isolation and uh, you know we'd love to hear from you uh, if you've any suggestions for nice things that children can do uh, people could sing by the way listen to music yeah, make the comments on the youtube channel we read them all and we, we try and reply to them all so we really look forward to those comments and don't forget to put comments our ratings on our apple podcast as well uh, oh, yeah. we really like f- good five star rating there please or comment let us know what you think yeah Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Um, God bless and stay safe. Thank you.